a simple solution is most of the time a better solution. The reason of saying that is in the tech world, there is too many new solutions happening every single day, but there is always a finite between a complex solution and an over-engineered solution. Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you, telling you how to grow your career. You can reserve yourself a copy at this URL. So get your pens out. It's bit.ly, so bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing. So that's bit.ly, B-I-T L-Y forward slash make it in marketing. But the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters. So bit.ly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase. I think you should get your heads around that and enjoy. It's a great read. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative and this is a weekly podcast about the future of the marketing and advertising industries. I get to interview someone from the industry who's inspiring, smart, clever, successful about what they think is going to happen next. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Jensen Fung, who is EVP Digital Marketing at EF education first. So Jensen, for anyone who doesn't know who you are or what you do, can you give us a bit of background? Sure, Tom. Uh, first off, thank you for having me. I've been a listener to your pod as well. Uh, so my name is Jensen. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Um, a free, free key highlights of my career. So I started uh, in advertising agencies. Uh, I've done a bunch of things um, in media planning, account service, uh, but this is where I developed my core skills in user acquisition and channel planning. Uh, and then I reckon I want to see more impact in a business. Uh, the next page of my career, I moved to a, a on-demand delivery app uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, I joined them when they were in Series F. Uh, I was the uh, I was heading the global user and driver acquisition uh, for the app. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, part of my career because uh, we have a global exposure across Asia, Latin America. Um, so very broad uh, geographical coverage that you have a lot of resources, but in the same time, you make decisions within hours across time zones and you see results very quickly too. Uh, so there, I pull different growth levers like paid media, performance media, discount and couponing activation, uh, where I enjoy the fun to see the actual impact. I learn about the power of technology and data and how they can feel user acquisition. Uh, my latest role, I moved to London and I joined EF Education First. Um, so in case for people who haven't heard of the company, uh, EF is the largest private education company in the world. Uh, people know us uh, typically from our language education and our tour business. Uh, we do everything from serious learning like MBAs, corporate education, language schools, to casual learning like study tours, gap years, online learning um, for language and casual learning apps. Uh, in my role as an executive VP at EF, uh, I work in the central digital marketing team, uh, which we have data scientists and behavioral scientists. Uh, the team is called 
NGA, uh, Next Generation Acquisition, uh, super fancy, but I didn't make up the name, by the way. Uh, someone in the past did. Uh, we build in-house uh, machine learning models and tools um, and growth tactics, uh, in-house GDP, attribution model, and different tooling and projects. And ultimately, what we do is helping EF to get better uh, in digital marketing and user acquisition. Wow. Right. You sound like an analytical guy. I'm going to say that. So I'm really interested by your first choice of question, which is what has been the biggest work fuck up? Where did it all go wrong? What was that moment where you were red faced, face palming, crying into the pillow with a disaster? But you're kind of glad that it happened when you look back on it retrospectively. Yeah, I like how we framed the question. Uh, let's face it, we all have a uh, work fucked up. Uh, but the important thing is how you embrace that and move on from that. Um, so this is an interesting story about seeing the big picture and the big impact. Uh, let's try to help out um, listener to visualize this. So the story was about a younger me. Uh, I think I was maybe senior manager, associate director at MyShare, um, which you may have heard of, of the name, uh, media agency. Uh, I was meeting a new senior client uh, for the first time. Um, that guy is super senior. So that was the eager young man from the agency trying to impress the big boss moment. We can, we can all see that happen uh, in the workplace, right? Um, so I was, we started by uh, presenting some of the technical campaigns, performance media campaigns and search campaigns we have ran, uh, what is the uh, return of investment, uh, the standard media things. Uh, and then I got a little bit ambitious. Uh, I want to talk business with the big boss. So we bridge into a offer type discussion. So I try to tell them what type of offers were more profitable than the others. And then the big boss stopped me and he told me, wait, hold on. It doesn't match with anything in my understanding. It doesn't match with my book. So that was the most awkward moment I had in my professional life. And then the whole meeting room went that silent and I basically have nothing to say. Uh, then I found out I was just looking at the paid media part. Uh, and the big boss told me, yeah, uh, your observation is valid, but paid media is just a certain percent of my whole business. Uh, so I'm not trying to say it's not important, but this is not significant. So what do you have for me um, in the big picture? So I was using the wrong data point to derive uh, in an inconclusive picture. Uh, so that was super embarrassing. And I, I basically walk out from meeting room with nothing to say at all, no reportering. Um, but that actually got me to rethink about what is marketing? What do I want in my career? Uh, and shout out to the two gentlemen in the meeting room that day. Uh, they could be listening. Uh, and that conversation actually helped me to replan my career. That makes me want to depart from my agency and move to a more impactful and more result-driven environment. Wow, that is, that's quite the story. But I think I would give perspective on the person that, um, the client, you know, they probably felt awful, you know, telling you were wrong in front of all your colleagues, or at least I hoped. So I think there's probably learnings there for everyone. So that was a, a great story to help me understand how your career trajectory changed. But I want to get tactical now. What is the best marketing tip that you've ever had? Yeah, I think the best marketing tip I ever had is when there are multiple solutions, a simple solution is most of the time a better solution. Uh, the reason of saying that is in the tech world, there is too many new solutions happening every single day. Uh, but there is always a finite between a complex solution as a, and, and an over-engineered solution. 
Uh, I can give an example. Uh, I've heard of something uh, called uh, audio sync targeting. So the technology is there is a bot. The bot will listen to all the TV channels for all the TV ads. So when they identified your competitor's TV ad, they will air your own ad on a mobile display. So the idea is to intercept the audience uh, attention on their mobile phone uh, when they are being bombarded by the competitor's TVC. Uh, I'm not trying to discredit technologically advanced solution as I also build these solutions for a living. Uh, so obviously they, they has to be good, right? Uh, but uh, we need to evaluate them in context in the sense that what is the uplift that solution is going to bring to the table? Uh, so usually I would draw the line by looking at um, the speed to market, cost, incremental back, uh, performance, and does that bring a delightful user experience? Um, so in this example, I will think about if this technology is going to create a noticeable change in user experience, that would bring an uplift to user response uh, when we have that interception happening. Or does the incremental media cost and production cost? Because obviously technology costs money and you have to spend more time and more resources to produce something that is more relevant. Uh, does the incremental investment yield proportional performance lift? Or is that something the user will be delighted with? Or is that something just the marketing team will be delighted with and check off something on their team OKRs? Uh, so let's assume the interception effect is real, uh, which in itself, I think is a big assumption. I will think of other alternatives that would require a fraction of the effort such as getting a performance specialist to stay at home and watch TV all night. When they see the competitor's ad, they will just go into Google Ads and turn on the campaign and update the mobile performance. Uh, would that bring a 70% effect versus a complex solution? If the answer is yes, uh, typically I will actually choose a simpler solution because I can actually do that tomorrow without a need of technological investment. So. The reason for choosing or comparing a simpler solution is not necessarily because it will be cheaper, but it will definitely avoid operational complication and keep your team remain focused on the big picture. Um, so in my experience, thinking uh, this thinking would rule out a lot of distractions for you. Uh, so you can really double down on what the next picture thing is or what is a new technology that can really pass this test and make a dif big difference. But of course, this could be an extreme example for illustration. Uh, I'm a true believer in automation technology, science, and obviously a simple solution. So in a sense, you're always looking for the the MVP. And I've, I can't remember the the name of the technique. I think it's called like the, the Merlin technique or the Wizard of Oz technique where you replicate a user experience with a human. So say, for example, you and I are building a, an Alexa app for argument's sake. Instead of like coding it and making it all work, you just you just put someone behind a screen and you go, Alexa, op Alexa, open open the Tom and Jensen app. And then we go, hi, it's the Jensen app. And you just work out the user experience without building anything. You just you, you you just what is it what oh, I can't remember what it's called anyway it, it's that technique it's like no strip out everything strip out the technology and that's so interesting that like yes there's lots of cool tech stuff you can do but like operationally it's going to take you ages to get there so actually just go straight there but uh, and then obviously there's the, if it does work and you do get a 70% uplift and it is a beautiful experience then you can use the tech to scale it which is the point but you don't need scale you need proof right yeah that, that's a perfect analogy uh, I actually suspect a lot of the things under the hood could be some blood factory some Somewhere in the world, uh, a bunch of people doing super manual things. Uh, but once you have uh, an initial successful case, then 
you will be more confident to invest more to actually build out that technology. But no shame to use a scrapey and simple solution. Um, I'm a big fan to scrapey, simple things before we actually double down on the high-tech things. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So we're going to talk about your shiny new object now, which you've given us a bit of a teaser for, but your your shiny new object is next generation user acquisition. So that kind of makes sense to me. I think I know what that is, but can you give us a crystal clear picture of what that is for the audience? Of course, of course. Um, So this is my um, personal passion and the project um, I'm building. Um, so we're thinking about um, spicing up uh, user acquisition um, so, um, with data science and behavioral science elements. Um, so this is an extension of my experience around channel planning and user growth in my previous uh, agency and delivery app base. Uh, typically, a uh, marketer would be thinking about channel planning. Uh, but if we come from a channel planning perspective, uh, plan your budget in different channels and use ad or use whatever organic uh, active uh, activation tactics uh, to to activate the users. The number of channels that are scalable are actually very limited, um, and everyone in the market they're using the same set of channels. So it's very easy for everyone to duplicate successes uh, or catch up on the uh, knowledge gap. Um, so let's say uh, your competitor is really good at Facebook. Uh, the easiest thing you can do to get that Facebook strategy or close the gap is you just post someone in that organization or in that agency. Um, and that happens, we see that that happens all the time. Um, so uh, there is not much competitive advantage you can you can generate. Uh, and also uh, thinking of the channel perspective solely could be dangerous uh, because what if the channel mess up? We have all seen the iOS 14 release uh, year ago, two years ago, and how Facebook performed tanks and obviously surprise tanks afterwards. So if we place all the bets and look at uh, acquisition in a channel usage perspective, we could be very vulnerable and passive to these channel changes in future and to competitors. Um, what I believe would give an organization a massive advantage is to start integrating science and technology on top of the user growth and acquisition tactics. Uh, then you can start uh, making more informed and faster decision. You can have more attribution and more um, uh, accurate attribution and prediction, or you can hack some Facebook and Google as feature that they don't natively exist. While you have that, um, you will have that competitive advantage. You will be more confident in taking calculated risks. Uh, you have a bigger margin of error, and ultimately, your organization will go faster and go bolder. Uh, these are the backdrop of shiny new object I'm interested in, and they are quite difficult for our competitors uh, to copy. Right. Okay. So, if everyone's using the big platforms, and you're, I love the idea of poaching someone from the agency to work out what the competitive strategy is. If you can probably work it out yourself anyway. And you're talking about building a layer on top of that, 
science and tech or top of the channel. So I get it, but can you be specific? Can you give me an example of that? Like what would, what does that actually look like? Of course, of course. Uh, so I think to start, uh, uh, it's around the term AI, but AI is a very trendy thing to say. Uh, within AI, you have a lot of more experimental and fancy aspect like artificial general intelligence. Uh, there is a lot of academic work that goes there. Uh, in the most layman terms, if you see those AI application in a Hollywood movie that involves something, someone killing somebody else, and these are the fancy shit that you probably don't want to invest in today. Um, so those are being ruled out from our conversation. Um, so I think the more robust usage of AI would be machine learning, which is a category under AI. Um, Within machine learning, and there are multiple subsets um, you may, may have heard of, like reinforced learning and supervised learning, supervised learning, stuff like that. But the more reliable and understandable use case uh, around classification. So we can tell, let's say we can tell which email is a spam, which is not. Regression, that tells you the relationship about two things. Um, you put in X amount of budget, does that yield a certain percentage of RI in a in a in a correlational or causal sense. Uh, recommendation and prediction, these are easy to understand. So the more reliable uh, machine learning use cases are classification, uh, which would tell you, uh, for example, which email is a spam, which is not. Uh, regression, that tells you the relationship between two things. Uh, recommendation and prediction, which are easy to understand, right? Um, so these are the more interesting and impactful marketing use case. Um, that will happen in a workplace, uh, such as building a recommendation engine to recommend the right product to our users on an EDM or on a website. Uh, marketing mix modeling that helps you measure the true ROI of offline advertising spending. Uh, personalization, so everyone will get personalized ad, uh, personalized lending, or even product recommendation uh, throughout the EDM journey. Uh, uplift modeling that can tell you uh, how much you should adjust on your on your product pricing. Uh, user clustering, how to cluster your users into uh, big enough and meaningful groups that you can generate insight or you can act upon them. Uh, so these are the examples of the uh, machine learning and data science, behavioral science uh, use cases in the ideal world of a next generation user acquisition. And then you can connect all these to the typical, typical things you are seeing like media media planning or, or performance media and EDM and so on and so forth. And this is a starting point. So you listed off a whole bunch of different versions of next gen user acquisition using machine learning for creating recommendations, predictions and so on. But can you choose one of those and, and help the audience understand what that actually looks like? So what would a what would a successful recommendation application of this technology look like? How would that work for somebody who's never done that? Yeah, I think the uh, recommendation is a brilliant example uh, because we can everyone can uh, resonate to your personal experience on uh, Spotify and YouTube. Um, so Spotify and YouTube are a great example on recommendation. So they will provide a recommendation to you uh, by user similarity. So let's say I'm a new user to the platform. Uh, platform things, I look like Tom. So Tom has consumed a bunch of things. I probably will see those content. And then and then they will tweak the recommendation according to what I like and what I consume further. Or a content similarity. So Tom likes football. Um, the platform recommends football to me. I have consumed free football and they will start to go deeper. Let's say professional football or football in Asia, football in Europe and the World Cup um, or female football, stuff like that. 
So uh, these are the recommendations uh, we can build. Uh, if your business has a large number of products, um, building a recommendation engine to fit the right product to the user, in theory, will uplift your conversion rates uh, because you are maximizing what your users are being exposed to um, in a set uh, or a limited uh, amount of browsing time. Uh, but the question to get there as a business uh, is what kind of user data you have and what kind of product data you have. Um, when you have enough data points around your user and the data, and they start to form a pattern, and you can train a recommendation model. So the recommendation model will um, make the right decision to you. Um, to get there, you have you need to have the right data infrastructure. So you track different things, you document different things on the book, uh, and then you need to have that recommendation model. And once the recommendation model can produce some recommendation, you can integrate them in the typical growth tactic you like, let's say website optimization. Uh, version one is a uh, hard-coded uh, product that our operator likes the most, or make, you make the most money from those products. So you show that those 10 products. Uh, and then you can have a version that on the website uh, is recommended according to the user behavior, or on the EDM, you can do the same, or more advanced way, you can introduce some variance to the recommendations and test how the user responds. And then you can adjust your product strategy. Or um, there is one feature I really like on Spotify. Uh, let's say they recommend a bunch of um, songs to you. You start to dislike some of the songs and they will actually remove those from the future recommendation. And they will revert back to something they are certain that you actually like. Um, so there is a bunch of robust uh, usage um, for really advanced company like Spotify and YouTube, but even for uh, mid-size or uh, medium-size uh, e-commerce businesses, um, there is a lot of scalable uh, tech usage and investment uh, in the recommendation engine. So so I like that as an example because it's more easy to understand. Uh, it's, it's, it's more down to earth and you can actually imagine the uh, business uplift if you are getting this done correctly. So jumping forward a bit, I would like to understand where you think it's going to go in terms of introducing randomness into recommendations. Because on Google or Gmail, I always use Gmail as a business, and you start typing out a sentence and it suggests, you know, I'd say looking forward to working with you, but actually what's actually been written is looking forward to hearing from you. So the way that I understand that Google recommends that to me is because it's looked at millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of emails and gone when someone starts to write looking at the end of an email like 12 lines down they normally write looking forward to seeing you or whatever it is now i always ignore the recommendation because that's what everyone else does and if everyone else is doing that therefore the thing that i'm going to do is going to be less unique so if you recommend me something in terms of, from a creative perspective it's because lots of other people are doing it so what i want to know is do you, have you seen any technology do you think there's a future that is genuinely creative as opposed to representative you know you think you could take things like style transfer this is what this is how van gogh painted so we can turn this picture into van gogh style it's it's a replication of a thing that's happened in the past whereas true creativity or great creativity is something that bucks the trend right so how do you think that brands can bring in the randomness that is the core of a good idea as opposed to just recommending this thing because it happened lots of times previously oh, i think that is a wonderful question um the google 
let's try to break it down step by step. I think the Google recommendation is different from a product recommendation. Uh, and it doesn't come from an angle that um, they want to inhabit creativity. Actually, I think they are trying to help you to get things done. Um, so uh, the reason to have that recommendation is to help you to form your sentence a little bit quicker, right? Uh, so this is something super pragmatic, but not about creativity or helping the user to make a decision about something. And the second part of the question is how do we introduce variants to the recommendation engine? I think that is also a very important point we need to look at. Uh, there are some um, recommendation or content matching uh, engine in some of the social media. They will focus on creating an echo chamber effect. So everywhere you go, you see the same thing, uh, which there is no variance in there, but that could be actually be damaging if we are working on a product recommendation engine. So for a product recommendation engine, let's say you are going to recommend five products. Uh, usually what we'll do is we'll isolate a certain percentage of the recommendation, and then we'll introduce something as an outlier. And then we will train the model and see how the user would respond to that outlier so we can avoid having that echo chamber effect. So if we start to see a lot of the users actually interact with the outlier a little bit better than the recommendation. The recommendation engine is going to know, oh, actually I'm missing something. So I should start incorporating some of the features. So this is how we introduce a variance to avoid the echo chamber effect, which I think it is your question, um, uh, where, where the question is about. Uh, the last bit is about creativity. So I think there is a forever tension between the use of uh, science and uh, how the human brains uh, come in place. And does that help us to um, become creative and produce new things? Or are we going to live uh, in, in, in a machine life? Uh, my answer is, uh, like I said in the very beginning about uh, sourcing a simpler solution. I wouldn't resort to recommendation or machine to do everything for us. Uh, there are layers in marketing that would require uh, creativity, uh, common sense, and in a sense, uh, the romance of, of, uh, of creative. Uh, I would never discredit those elements. I think let's just don't be obsessive uh, in science and technology, but always uh, take some time to appreciate uh, real-life interaction and user insight uh, from a real human being or creativity from a copywriter. And these are all very important and make the uh, tech life and digital marketing life a little bit more fun and sexy. So I think that is also important to think about. And that is a beautiful way to finish the podcast. I could talk about this all day. And I, well, I do talk about this all day anyway, but um, uh, thank you for recording this with me. It's been fantastic. So Jensen, if someone wants to get in touch with you about this or any anything else, where do you want them to get in touch with you and what makes a great outreach message to you? I think LinkedIn is the best channel. Uh, I can be searched uh, on LinkedIn. I'm just typing my name, Jensen Fong. I have done that. It, there should be only one Jensen Fong. Uh, the best outreach message is just to be very upfront about um, how can I help you? Um, and why do you want to be in touch? Let's say, uh, send me a message, say, uh, Tom sent me, I listened to your podcast on signing new object. I think you're wrong. I'm doing something similar, but better. Uh, totally welcome. Uh, I, I would love to hear more about 
uh, how our fellow friends in the market are doing different things uh, and how they feel about the use of technology and science uh, in marketing. Fantastic. Jensen, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your invitation, Tom. It has been fun. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.